first service was down a little bit. I wasn't surprised because of uh, being the New Year holiday. I told him in the first service, I stayed up a little later last night than normal. I went to bed at 10.30. So, um, but I'm grateful that you've come to be a part of this service today. It's always a joy to be in the house of the Lord, and we're grateful that we have an opportunity to hear John uh, Hare preach again. This is John's last Sunday and last day uh, with us, and so we're going to miss John, but we certainly have appreciated his ministry among us. Uh, he has been with us full time since May, and even after he went to school, he continued to travel back to uh, minister to our youth and to minister in other ways in our congregation, and we're delighted that he has had this opportunity to minister. I wrote a little something just a while ago for the newsletter next week, and in it I said, I appreciate how he ministered to the congregation, but I also appreciate how he ministered to me. And I have been grateful for his friendship, and so we are delighted. They clapped for him in the first service. So we're going to <laughs> and tonight we're getting together in the, um, with the youth at uh, 6 o'clock to have a farewell for John. So um, we will uh, look forward to that time, maybe. You know, with the youth, we never know, do we, what, what, might, what might transpire. But I'm glad that you're here and welcome to the house of the Lord on this day that he has given to us. You see the opportunities of the week. The youth will be meeting, as I said, tonight at 6, the worship team on Tuesday at 6.15. On Wednesday, we will have the 11 a.m. Bible study and prayer time that we uh, normally have. Uh, we took the month of December off because of all the things going on in that month. But there will be no evening activities here with the exception of youth. Uh, there will be no prayer meeting, uh, there will be no RAs, GAs, uh, none of the groups will be meeting on this Wednesday evening. We will begin in earnest, though, on January the 11th. Our meals and everything will resume on the 11th, barring an emergency, let me say it that way. But as it stands now, everything will begin, and I'm pretty confident, I'm 98% sure that everything will begin on the uh, 11th. Uh, I also said in something I'm writing to you next week for next week's newsletter that the finish date for any construction project, in my experience, is always a moving target. So even though we will be back over there, it won't be completely finished, but the areas that we need to use uh, will be uh, finished. So we're grateful that this project is coming to a conclusion. Uh, if you haven't been in the Family Life Center, uh, go in and look up, and you will see uh, the results of the... Uh, uh, insulation and so forth that has been put in there. The new lights are not in yet. They will be put in a little bit later. And the fascia on the outside of the building is, uh, will be done in the next few weeks. But the roof itself is completely in place with the gutter system. Uh, what you see out there now is just uh, what needs to be covered with the fascia uh, that will be replaced what was taken down uh, for the project. So if you have any questions, I also say that. Ask me. You can ask Cotton. Uh, we usually have uh, updates. I usually get an update every day so that I know what's going on. And I get my update by walking over there and asking questions of the right people, okay? And then we do weekly updates as well. But thank you for your patience. I'm so glad to see this coming to a conclusion, and I'm so grateful for uh, what it has done for us and what it will be able to do for our community uh, now that it's completed and secured for many years to come. I'm going on and on, but I hope you uh, sense my excitement with the uh, 
uh, nearing completion and what has been accomplished and what we have been able to do as a church family with the Lord's blessing uh, to complete this project. Um, I think that completes the announcements that I have. I want to make sure adult choir does start back on Wednesday. Uh, you're not excused, even though we're not having prayer service and so forth, but it will begin at 7 o'clock uh, on uh, Wednesday. I think that's all the announcements that I have, and so now let us worship God.
I failed to mention that this is also Adopt-a-Poinsettia Sunday. If you have uh, not, if you purchased a poinsettia and have not picked it up, today is your chance to do so. So if they're not picked up today, uh, then they go to the home of unwanted poinsettias. And we don't want them to go there because it's really the trash, okay? So if you see some left, if you linger and see one left and you'd like to take it home, please feel free to do so. Pat, I hope that's fair to say, isn't it? Because we do want them to have homes and um, you can take one home with you if you choose. Not that one. I don't know who that one belongs to, but we didn't pay for that one. That one's a big one there. So, But all of these are fair game. I don't know where that one came from, but uh, anyway, let's bow for an invocation. Gracious and eternal God, as we bow before you on this first day of the new year, we do so with great expectation in our hearts for this time together. For we come here, Father, looking to you, for you have shown us the light through Jesus Christ. We are grateful for the celebrations of these past two weeks and from the beginning of Advent until this new year. Help us, Father, as we come together today to spend some quiet time with you, listening for a word from you. Bless this time in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is our privilege this first day of 2017 to be able to stand and sing about the greatness of our God. Would you turn to hymn number 10, standing as we sing, How Great Thou Art.
we come to a new year and everything seems new. At least that's what they'd like to tell us, isn't it? But as I look out, I see the same people. I wasn't going to say the same old people. But we are together. And you know, when we hold this, these elements in our hands, we also have to acknowledge that Christ started something new. Something new that people didn't expect. Remember last week, those of you who were here on Christmas Day, in the sermon I spoke about how John wanted Jesus to be what he wanted him to be. And the disciples were the same way. Remember when Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem and I must suffer many things and I must die? Remember the response of the disciples? Oh no, Lord, we won't let that happen to you. And then they resigned themselves to understand that if Jesus were going to Jerusalem, they would go to Jerusalem and the scripture records and die with him. And yet, they didn't quite understand how new what Jesus was about to do really was. He was going to die so that we might live. And so in the upper room that night, he did something new and different. He took something very ordinary, very common that they used in the Passover feast and he gave it new purpose and new meaning when he said, this is my body which is broken for you. For as often as you eat it, remember me. And then in his words, when he took the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, remember me. Paul went on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. But we anticipate on this first day of the new year. What will God do in our lives this year that is new? If we're open to Him, He can do wonderful things with our lives. As we continue to reflect of our time around the Lord's table, I would ask you to turn to hymn number 144. Let's stand as we sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
Good morning. Happy New Year to all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, on this first day of 2017, we praise you for your goodness to our nation, giving us blessings far beyond what we deserve. We pray for our missionaries, both at home and abroad, that you will continue to bless their ministry and use them to make an eternal difference in the lives of many. Father, help us to remember that when we give, we serve God. Now bless these gifts you are about to receive and use them to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we come before you again with thanksgiving and joy in our hearts for the gift of this time in this place, but also for the gift that comes to us through salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we come together on this new year, on this day, we do so, Father, asking that you walk with us and that as we walk together, Father, we might minister to people who have great needs around us. Let us commit ourselves, Father, to understanding that Mechanicsville is our first mission field. And may we be deacons of Christ in this community. We're grateful, Father, for this church and for the work and ministry of this place. We're grateful for the faithfulness of your people. And yet, Father, we pray that you would show us ways to go that we may not ever have imagined. For those who are sick, we pray, Father, that you will bless them and bring healing to their bodies. We are grateful for the answer to prayer for those who have had recent surgeries and other complications. And for those, Father, who have lost loved ones. 2016 was difficult for so many in our church family. And on the dawning of a new year, May we, Father, commit ourselves to you so that we might find comfort and hope and strength in knowing that each day that we walk, we walk into eternity with you. Bless our nation in this year to come. Bless our president-elect and our president as he exits and the new president takes office. Give them wisdom. Give him encouragement as he leads this nation. Speak to our hearts through the words that are spoken this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Lord now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin 
white as snow. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Well, as we start a new year together, I would like to ask you this one question as we begin, and that is, what is the source of joy and purpose in your life? Where do you derive your purpose? Where do you derive your joy in everything that you do as you live? Is it your job? Is it that promotion that you are working toward? Is it financial stability? Is it being able to do what you want, where you want? Is it being able to climb that ladder of success? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it some kind of addiction plaguing your life? Is it a sin you keep indulging in? Is it just working and trying to get to Friday so you can have the weekend? As Christians... If Jesus Christ is the one who gave his all for us, if he laid down his life, died on the cross, paid it all like we just heard, beautiful job, uh, Ted and Faye, thank you so much. Uh, beautiful song, that is. If, if Jesus has truly paid it all for us, and if it cost God everything for him to give his life for us, shouldn't we not give all of ourselves to him and make him the source of joy and purpose in our very own lives. I was watching an interview this week um, that Albert Pujols, the first baseman for the Cardinals and for the Angels gave, and um, he was talking about uh, his, his faith, and uh, he said that often when he's covering first base and a runner comes on first, uh, he'll make small talk and he'll ask uh, that person, that opponent, what is the most important thing in life? Uh, quite a question when you're trying to play a baseball game. And uh, he said, you know, those guys would give uh, a few answers. And he said most of the time it, it was, well, my purpose right now is to get ahead and get on second. Uh, and he said often, though, people would say to him, why are you asking that? I mean, can you imagine uh, asking that during a ball game? And Albert Pujols said that every time he would look at that, oppo at that opponent, at that runner, and say, 
there is more to life than the game. There is more to life than the game. There's more to life than all these things that we let get in the way and that we focus our life on. Mike Huckabee, I was watching something, an interview that he did, and he said the hardest time to follow Jesus is when you're successful. And isn't that so true? When we have so many things going on in our lives and so many things filling our lives, that's the hardest time to follow Jesus. I love what he said next, though, in regards to following Jesus. And if you remember Mike Huckabee, I believe it was 2008, he ran for president. Um, And uh, I did not know this, but apparently uh, when he lost in the primaries, he really, really took it hard. It was a real big setback for him. And uh, he said that in regards to following Jesus, he said this. He said, we are following him because we want to be with him. We are following him because we want to be with him. And friends, let me tell you this. If, if your idea of Jesus and if your idea of Christianity is to just believe in Jesus so you can stay out of hell, then you have gotten Christianity and Jesus all wrong and you have cheapened God's wonderful gift of grace to you. John Piper, the writer of the book Desiring God, said this. God is not worshipped where he is not treasured and enjoyed. Dear friends, living the Christian life, living for Jesus is not just saying, I believe, I'm good, I can get out of hell, and that's it. No, we cheapen grace when we say that. Living for Jesus is not about being religious. It's about being in a relationship with a God who sent his only son down to earth to die on the cross so that he could give you abundant life and shepherd your heart. Are you taking advantage of the abundant life that King Jesus can give to you? Would you bow your head and pray with me? Our Father and our God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the new year. We thank you, God, that uh, even when we may not have uh, a good year behind us, we can look forward to the year that you give ahead of us. And God, I pray that as I bring this final message to this wonderful group of people, I pray that God, your spirit would speak. I'm just your servant. I'm nothing but a mere man. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon my spirit and would anoint me and would speak through me as we talk about Jesus the king who was our good shepherd, who laid down his life and who promises to give us abundant life if we would simply trust him. Bless the rest of the time that we have together today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you would, open God's word up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 15. Jesus, in this text gives us three metaphors to describe himself. He describes himself as the door, the good shepherd, and the life giver. And in this text, in the book of John here, Jesus is emphasizing his careful concern for the sheep. He's emphasizing his relationship with the sheep. John is writing to Greek-speaking Jews who live outside of Israel. So they're familiar with Hebrew customs. They're They're familiar with Judaism, and Jesus is trying to help this crowd, and John is writing to this crowd, 
trying to help them to see that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And all throughout the pages of the book of John, you see that. You see that John is trying to prove to the people that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He even finishes the letter by saying, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Throughout the book of John, Jesus gives a lot of I am statements. That I am, ego a me in the Greek, is an emphatic statement. Jesus is placing emphasis on a self-revelation about himself. He is defining to you and to me who he is, just who this Son of God is. He says that he is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world. He is the vine. We are the branches. And now here in this text, Jesus says these words to us. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 7. Would you follow along with me? King Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Jesus then says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is, his shep- is your shepherd. He's laid down his life for you. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. If you remember Muhammad Ali, who died this past year, he used to always say, I am the greatest of all time, placing his special emphasis as a wrestler, um, as a boxer. What am I talking about? As a boxer. Um, Jesus is saying, I am, because he's stressing supremacy as God's only son. We see three things today that I want to point you to in describing Jesus and who he is. Number one, Jesus says that he is the door that opens the way to salvation. He is the door that opens the way to salvation. In John 10, 1 through 6, Jesus identifies himself as the one who can determine who does and who does not enter into the gate of the pasture. Another thing to look at in this text is Jesus uses those terms thieves and robbers. Uh, He is talking about false messiahs or strangers to the belief in Christ. He is talking about people or things that would seek to rob people from the pasture of the shepherd. Here he's uh, talking about Pharisees and he's talking about zealots. Pharisees who were these great religious leaders but yet sought to lead people astray. My question for you today is what could be the thief or the robber in your life that is seeking to rob your joy in Jesus, that is seeking to rob you of being able to follow your shepherd and experience the greatest life that you could possibly imagine. And my prayer today is that you'll find that, friend, as you read the words of Jesus. You see that word door, I am the door or I am the gate. Uh, Back during these Jewish times, if you were a shepherd, 
uh, a Near Eastern shepherd would literally sleep in the doorway of the pasture so that he could wake up to defend the sheep if a predator tried to get into the pen. Imagine that, you know, we, we see such a simple metaphor, Jesus saying, I'm a door, but look how beautiful it is, the protector, the provider of his sheep. We learn two things about this door. Number one, he's a door to God's grace. Jesus is a door to God's grace. In the Old Testament, uh, sheep were symbolic of Israel, God's chosen people, and Jehovah was that chief shepherd. And Jesus here in this text, if you notice in verse seven when he and verse nine when he says, "I am the door," he is leading the Jews out of their Judaism to find God, to find access to God through Himself in Jesus. And He is also the door to the Gentiles, the elect Gentiles, the people that God came to save, and he is leading the Gentiles, you and I, to a relationship with Jesus Christ, to a way to God. He opens that door for us. He is that door that determines access into the presence of God. Jesus is saying by, I am the door, that he is the sole determiner of who does and who does not enter into God's presence. Do not be fooled by what skeptics say, by what our culture says that says you can do whatever you want, you can get to God in any way you want. I'm here to tell you that's not true. That is not true. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can come to my Father but by me. Jesus said in John 6, 44, he said that no one could come to him unless the Father who sent him draws you to himself. Jesus is that door. He is that entrance. No longer would man have to climb the walls of ceremonial laws and civil laws to get to God. No longer would there have to be a priest who could only go behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies to see the presence of God once a year. That's what the Jews believed. They believed that the presence of God rested behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies, and only the priest could go in there once a year. Jesus is saying, you can come to me not only once a year, but every year, every day, whenever you want, every hour, every minute, if you want to. I'm opening, opening the way to God. He is that door that opens the way for you to get to God. It is only through Jesus that man can be saved. You read it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul says we were children of wrath, we were dead in our trespasses, we were sons of disobedience, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Do you realize that before Jesus came into your life, if you're saved today, you were like a dead walking corpse, and then Jesus came in and he gave you life. And made you alive. If that doesn't excite you on New Year's Day, I just don't know what will. But that's what Jesus came to do for you. And it is only by his way of grace, through faith, that you can be saved. You cannot do anything to get to God except to go through Jesus. And the church said, amen to that. Amen. It is only through Jesus that we can enter. The word enters is in the subjunctive mood, meaning that it is a contingent verb. It's a future event or circumstance that is possible but cannot 
be predicted with certainty. In other words, folks, one's entering is determined upon whether or not they go through the door, Jesus Christ. So in this new year, I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to say it in this service. In this new year, if we believe that, it's time that we start pointing people to the door because we have a lost world that is going to hell. And the only way that they may be saved is through King Jesus, who can give them life. The second thing that we learn about the door is not only is Jesus a door to God's grace, but Jesus is a door to God's presence. As I said a minute ago, no longer do we have to climb these walls and these barriers of civil laws and ceremonial laws. No more do we have to uh, go find a perfect lamb or go sacrifice some bull. I can't even imagine doing something like that today. Uh, instead, we can go right into the presence of God. Jesus says in John 10, verse 9, I am the door. Anyone enters through me, he will be saved, will go in and out and find pasture. That word in and out symbolizes the freedom that mankind has to enter into God's presence. We have the freedom to go in and out with Jesus and have freedom to be with him and can walk in freedom in our lives. When I was a kid, um, we used to often go to my grandparents' farm, um, which that farm consisted of one horse and four dogs. I don't know if you call that a farm, but we did. Um, there were animals there, so we called it a farm. Uh, but often my grandfather and I uh, would go down to the bottom of the farm and go fishing. There was this pond, and their house was guarded by a barbed wire fence. And I can remember as a kid, when we would go down to the barn, uh, Grandpa would always tell me, make sure you close that gate so that the horse doesn't come into the yard. The horse came in there, of course, he'd tear up the flowers and tear up the grass, and we always had to close that gate. But, folks, that's not how Jesus works. Jesus doesn't just close us in and keep us restricted to some rules and regulations that makes it difficult for us to go to God. No, he opens the door and lets us go in and out and lets us have freedom to walk as children of God. That word pasture symbolizes nourishment, provision, security, and rest. That's what Jesus is for you. Provision, security, and rest. Whatever you're going through today, friend, won't you just rest in Jesus? Won't you just rest in his pasture and in his loving embrace? The second thing that we learn from this chapter is that he is the good shepherd that leads the way to restoration. Jesus is the good shepherd that leads the way to restoration. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I heard a story um, of, about a guy many years ago that was a shepherd in Turkey. And as he was watching over his sheep, he saw... This one sheep kind of go to the edge of the cliff, look down, and the sheep just jumped. One sheep gone. He noticed the other sheep's other friend behind him kind of follow along, look down at the cliff at his friend, and then he jumped. Soon, one by one, these 1,500 sheep all jumped off of the cliff. Here's the crazy thing. Only 450 died. The other 1,050 survived because they landed on the soft bed of the other sheep. And lived. You see, sheep are helpless, they're defenseless, and they need constant care and constant supervision by their shepherd. And folks, we're the same way. We are so defenseless and we are so helpless against the devil 
and against sin and against all these things of darkness that are thrown at us in this world. And that's why Jesus calls himself this good shepherd. You see, back in the Old Testament, the word shepherd was actually the most uh, revered word that could be used to describe a king. They would often take on the royal title name of shepherd in the Old Testament. And the people loved to call their kings shepherds. Shepherds symbolize spiritual leadership and representation from Yahweh. Look at King David and look at Moses and others who were shepherds. It symbolized leadership. A shepherd symbolized protection and provision and would provide for his sheep. But when the Pharisees came along, they put a bad name out there for shepherds because of Ezekiel 34, where God condemned the bad shepherds, the bad priests of Israel. So in this day and age, uh, shepherds had a bad name to them. Isn't it crazy, though, how God tells Jesus to call himself the good shepherd? He brings back the term to symbolize the intimate relationship that the shepherd, King Jesus, God wants to have with his sheep. We learn that he is the good shepherd of redemption. He's the good shepherd of redemption. That word good, kalos, in the Greek means noble or worthy or divine shepherd or authentic, genuine shepherd. So when Jesus says that he is your good shepherd and that he has come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly, it's because he is genuine and wants to give you an authentic life. He is the good shepherd, ladies and gentlemen, that laid down his life for you. He gave it up. He was put in your place. When it says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that means on behalf of the sheep. Jesus Christ laid down his life on your behalf so that you could have life. Have you ever thought about it this way? That Jesus literally took on his back and died for the very sins that you did that he never did? The lies you told, the bad things you said, the lust in your heart, none of that stuff Jesus did, but yet he took it on himself because he loved you and he loved me. If you look in verses 12 and 13, Jesus says that he was not like the hired hand. The hired hand back at this time would be someone who would just watch over the sheep. So if the shepherd wanted to go take a break, the hired hand could just come and watch the sheep. But the hired hand of a wolf came to come eat the sheep and destroy the sheep. That hired hand would just run away because he was only concerned with his well-being and with his wage. Jesus is saying, I'm not like the higher hand. I am the shepherd who loves you, who cares for you, who would lay down his life to save you. I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to be there for you. And I'm going to love you because I've redeemed you. That's what he's done for me and you. He was that shepherd, that authentic shepherd. There's another story I heard about a tourist who was taking some English... uh, people on a tour of of Palestine and they got to a uh, and they got to a field and they saw this shepherd who was driving the sheep they had always been told that a Middle Eastern shepherd leads his sheep but this guy was driving the sheep and the tourist guide uh, went up to the shepherd and said hey why are you driving the sheep I thought y'all led the sheep and the man replied you're quite right sir the shepherd does lead his sheep but you see I'm not the shepherd I'm the butcher 
you see, Jesus is not some butcher that chases after us. Jesus is the good shepherd that seeks to love us. He gave his life for you and for me. Have you trusted him as Savior and believed that yourself? The second thing we learn about the shepherd is that he is the good shepherd that leads the way to reconciliation. Notice in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That word know means to have knowledge of. It implies a relationship of trust and intimacy. Jesus wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. That's why he came to die. He came to restore you back to your relationship with your father. You see, you were fallen in your sin, and Jesus came to bridge that gap by his grace to restore you back to your relationship with God. Paul said it best in Colossians 1.20. He said that Jesus came to reconcile us and having made peace through the blood of his cross, thereby to reconcile all man to himself. Even though we were alienated in darkness, Jesus came to reconcile you to himself. He wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. Why? Because Jesus offers you the best life you could ever imagine. The final point that I come to today as I finish this up is the fact that Jesus Christ is the life giver that presents the way to satisfaction. Jesus is the life giver that presents the way to satisfaction. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Folks, Jesus came to give you abundant life. He came to give you a life far beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And we so often miss it because we fill our lives with stuff. And we try to fill the emptiness and the voids in our life with all this other stuff that the world offers. And let's be real, none of it satisfies. I have never met a man or a woman who was satisfied without Jesus. But I've never met a person who said that they were not satisfied when they do have Jesus. Jesus can satisfy you. He can fill that emptiness. He can fill that void in your life, no matter what it is. Whatever you're trying to fill your life up with, Jesus came to give you that abundant life. So how, how about it today, friends? As you start this new year, as, as you start a new road, as you start a new 365 days, won't, won't we start it with Jesus today? Like I said, you, you may be going through a lot of things right now, and you may have this emptiness and this void in your life. Maybe you're off on your own path, or maybe right now you're just in mourning um, in your life, and things just aren't working right. I want to challenge you to fill it with Jesus. Jesus said that he came to give you abundant life. That is life of completeness without lack. God, the good shepherd, Psalm 23, 1, said, I am the good shepherd, you shall not want. Why? Because he came 
should be the ultimate life giver in your heart and in your life. Won't you just try Jesus this morning? Won't you today start off this brand new year finding abundant life in Christ? He'll give it to you. He'll satisfy you. He'll change your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you gave abundant life for us. We thank you, God, that that when we were so helpless, we were like sheep who had gone astray, as Isaiah said in, in his writing. God, you came to rescue your sheep by sending Jesus as the good shepherd as the ultimate life giver, as the door who could open up the way to salvation and open up a way for us to have a relationship with you by which, Lord, all the fullness of God dwells. I pray that each person today would experience that fullness. And if there's one person in this room who does not know you or whose life, God, is just messed up, void, and empty, May they come to know Jesus as the good shepherd this morning. May they welcome him into their lives to become their abundant life. We love you so much. Thank you for sending Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. This altar is open today to anyone who would want to trust Jesus as Savior. Maybe today you have been off on the wrong road for quite a while. Maybe today you're struggling with depression and you don't know how to get out. Maybe you are at a dark place in a dark hole in your life. You don't know how to escape. Or maybe today you are just in this dull place and you're asking yourself, there's got to be more to life than this. Won't you just let your life change and come to Jesus and let him give you the abundant life that you could have never imagined? I'm, I'm telling you, I never imagined the Christian life would be this good. There's bumps in the road, but you have a God who loves you, who can rescue you and be with you and restore you and reconcile you and satisfy you, even in the darkest times. Won't you start off the new year today the right way? Come to Jesus. All you have to do is repent of your sins and believe on his name, and he'll save you. He's waiting for you to come just as you are and give yourself to him. Let's stand as we sing hymn number 307, Just As I Am.
Thank you, John, for your ministry among us, and we will be praying for you. And on Tuesday, Dwight Hedges begins his uh, term, our time with us as uh, uh, Minister of Youth, and we look forward to his ministry and his family being among us as we send John uh, on his way. But thank you, John, very much uh, for what you've done. He, uh, I, as a pastor, I know he edited a little bit in the second service. He went long in the first service, and the bell rang, and he got... Um, he got some feedback about that, I, I know. Uh, but uh, anyway, it was wonderful, and we're grateful that he's been with us today. Um, two things I need to tell you. It's also, because it is the first Sunday, uh, it is Benevolent Sunday, so the deacons will be at the door to receive your uh, benevolence offering if you so choose to participate in that offering to help people in the area. And second, Cotton Sizemore is in the back, and if you uh, could help in any way, shape, or form, move some furniture, uh, he can give you some information on that. We have some furniture that we need to move in different areas in order to do different things upstairs that need to be done to complete the project over there. But I see Cotton standing in the back, and he'll tell you when uh, to gather and what to do and so forth if you're willing to help him uh, in that. And I believe that is everything I need to tell you. I have to run it through my mind real quick. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on this day, we recognize that indeed you are the Good Shepherd.